I do want to thank everybody who did work for the um, VBS. You did a great job, as always. Let's give all our VBS workers a hand. Amen. Thank you for working and being a part and giving up your week there. Amen. Well, welcome to Cornerstone Church. My name is Sean Apke. I'm lead pastor here. We're glad you're here today. God's good, isn't he? Hey, listen, next week, this service won't be going on. We're only going to have one service, 11 o'clock, so you get to sleep in. Come on, everybody. <laughs> so if you're in town and everything, please come. You don't want to miss next week's service. So it's at 11 a.m. But afterwards, we, as you're going out, we can hang out a little bit. We're going to have hot dogs and, um, and uh, what else, chips, and, and that's about all they'll let me do. But anyway, I wanted ice cream, but they didn't let me do that. Anyway, but uh, hot dogs is going to be going on. Just come and just hang out with us a little bit later. Just plan on staying five or ten minutes later than you normally would and just hang out with people, get to know people next week, okay? Amen? Well, God's good, isn't He? Is He good? Yes, He is. It doesn't matter what's going on. Now, uh, look in your bulletins. You can uh, get out the uh, sheet. Usually there's notes on them. Uh, um, By the way, the verse that I was going to minister on, I was going to talk about unity because... we're in a study in 1 Corinthians. Paul talks about unity um, for the first, next four chapters, 1 through chapter 4. And uh, I will not be doing that today. Um, this had to go into press on Thursday, and I was praying our Supreme Court will make a different decision. So since they didn't make, the, they made the decision that they made, I've moved up from four weeks, that four weeks from now is going to preach on this. I'm going to talk about a sex-crazed world. Is that okay? And I'm going to go in, and I'm going to talk about some of the issues today. So I want you to listen. Listen very closely and understand what I'm saying. That's my prayer today, that you'll understand and get the heart of God in this and that, um, and that we can be the church that needs to be in this country. Amen? Because we do live in a sex-crazed world now. In the Corinthian church, they lived in a sex-crazed world. Even the church was very crazy in this area. And so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, next week we'll come back to chapter 1, but uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9, and what is happening here is what really in the Corinthian church is really what's happening in our world today. And so, um, and a lot of times we say, well, what's the big deal with with gay marriage? What's the big deal with homosexuality? What's the big deal with um, people sleeping together before they're married? What's the big deal about porn? And, and uh, you know, there's, there's two consenting adults. Let them, what's the big deal? Well, I'm going to talk about why it's a big deal. Why homosexuality, why gay marriage was a, is a big deal to the church, is a big deal to God. Why, why that is, and why it should be a big deal to you. And it might be a little different than what you think, Okay. And so I want you to listen very closely. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now I want to let you know that 1 Corinthians was written to the church. Okay? And so Paul's speaking to the church here. And he's talking about unrighteous would mean people who have not given their lives over completely to the Lord. Now listen, when you give your life to Jesus, you don't give a hand, you don't give a, just a part of you. It is everything. That's what you give to him. You make him the Lord, the boss, the controller of your life. What he says goes. Amen? And not what you say. Before that, you were whatever you wanted to do was okay. 
day. And so that's the way the world is. Now, he's writing to the church here. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's a very important statement Paul says here. So he's saying here, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you to, uh, to, uh, I want you to understand what's going on here. I don't want you to, to have blinders over your eyes and think everything is okay. Because I believe that's the way that a lot of the churches in America are becoming. They're becoming deceived. And a lot of Christians are. Okay? One, thing, one good thing about Facebook, you can see the deception in people's eyes. Okay? I don't like Facebook at all. But uh, you can definitely see the deception. And he says, do not be deceived. Now listen to what he says here. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that is talking about salvation. That means going to heaven. That's talking about living and having and being and living in eternity, the life of God. That's what he's talking about. And look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. So these are people that are in the church that used to do these things. Used to. Okay? These are people who weren't were unrighteous, but now are righteous because of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that Christ made them righteous, okay? This is what it is. And so he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed... You were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things, he goes on, all things are lawful for me, but, not, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's what sin does, right? Sin brings you under, when you practice and live in sin, what the Bible calls sin, it controls you. It will control you. And that's what he's saying. I will not be, be under the power of any of those. I'm not going to be brought under the power of any of those. Verse 13. Foods for the stomach and the stomachs for food. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality. You need to underline that. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the member of, members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So verse 18, flee. Everybody say flee. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits a sexual immorality commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is which are God's. Very strong statements here. Now he uses the phrase sexual immorality. And that word comes from the Greek word pornea. That's where we get our word porn from. And in, that means any and all forms of sexual immorality. And this is what this is. It includes any sex outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That means sex before marriage. It means adultery outside the, the marriage union. Homosexuality. 
That means sex between uh, the, the same gender. Jesus even said it was lust in your mind. That's sexual morality. You got, don't, don't allow anybody to say that that's not what it means. That's exactly what it means here. So let's look at that. There's a principle here. Paul says in verse 13, says, Your body is not for the purpose of personal immorality, but for pleasing God. Your body, my body, is meant to please the Lord. It's not my own. I've been bought with a price, right? You and I have been bought with a price. That price is the blood of Jesus. And I, my body is His. My body is not for my personal pleasure alone. It is for God. It is to please God. And this is where the culture of this world gets it wrong. And this is what they were getting wrong here. Because all this stuff, the reason Paul's mentioning this, he's talking to the church. All of this stuff is coming into the church again. And this is where the culture gets it messed up. They think that my body is for me. And as long as I don't violate anyone else... I'm okay. If it feels good, do it. Your body was made to please the Lord. See, this is what happens. Sexual immorality, that poor Nia, cuts to the core of humans in a way that not, no other sin does. The reason is simple. It is intertwined. When you have a sexual immorality, it is intertwined with the heart, the soul, and mind, as well as the body. Not every sin does that. That's why what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 6.18, he says that every sin, other sin is outside the body. But sexual immorality, he says, is against his own body. So the sin sexually, Paul might say today, means that you are practically going to ruin your life here on this earth, not just for eternity. That's why you have sexual transmitted diseases. This is why it happens. Sexual morality has a way of tearing apart lives and relationships in a way that no other sin does. Now, this doesn't excuse other sins. This doesn't excuse, you know, obscene pride or an outrageous lifestyle. That will ruin your life. But sexual morality does even more. You sin against your own body. Proverbs 5, 8 through 11 teaches us, it says this. It says, keep to a path far from her, her being the harlot. Do not go near to the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to the one who is cruel to the enemy. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. So sexual immorality will consume your flesh and your body and your heart and all your mind in, in altogether di- di- differently destructive ways than any other sin. See, the reason God hates sin, whether it's pride, lying, adultery, homosexuality, whatever it is, because it destroys you. He doesn't say, I don't want you to do this because I want to be in control of you. He says, don't do this because it's going to kill you. See, there's a judgment on sin. What's the judgment on sin? Death. You interact with sin, whether you're a Christian or not. No matter who you are, you interact with sin and continue in that, death will come part of you. In fact, you can sin one time and death can come part of you, right? Go out and get drunk and drive. Our bodies was meant to please God. Now, then he has two commands. In verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. 
It means get out of the way. Get away from it. Don't entertain it. Don't have it come into your life. Get away. Because sexual sins are against your own body. Then he says to honor, verse 20, honor God with your body. So Paul here is talking to the church in Corinth because these things are doing. There's, there's people going to prostitutes. Remember, the, the, uh, uh, there's a temple just full of prostitutes, and that's what they're for. In that society, it was okay, go, and this is how you worship um, the, the goddess Aphrodite, is you worship by having sex with a prostitute. That was a normal thing in that day. Homosexuality was rampant. It wasn't just you go to uh, opposite sex. You go, they were going to men and men and women and women and having sex at this place. And that was okay, seemingly, because they weren't doing anything about it in the church. And Paul says, no, flee those things. You used to do that. Don't go back there. Flee those things. Now, the Supreme Court on Friday made a decision that allows gay marriage. And, and here's the question we, we, I hear a lot. Why is that wrong? Can't these people just love one another? Well, in this world, in our, in our country, you can do, because our, our Constitution is a humanistic Constitution. It is all about the rights of man. Listen, when you come to Christ, you deny your rights any longer. And you live under the authority of God. Okay? So if you think there's voting in heaven, <laughs> you got another thing coming to you. <laughs> God, I don't know if I like that or not. That's not going to be like it in heaven. You, know, you understand that. And so, so what we have here, we have a humanistic document. So in the United States, you can do what you want as long as you don't hurt any other people or break any laws. But that's not the way God sees it. God sees it a different way because it kills people. Let's look what the Bible says about homosexuality because he's not silent about this. In Romans chapter 1, go ahead and turn there, verse 24. Romans chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires. Why did he give them over to their sinful desires? Because they didn't want to believe him. Gave them over to their sinful desires of the heart to, what did he give them over to? Sexual impurity. Why? For the degrading of their bodies with one another. See, we can reject God's principles and God's going to let you do whatever you want to do. Because he's given you a free will. But what that leads to, and this is why we're seeing this. I mean, if you, can you turn on your TV? You'd be lucky to turn on your TV at night and not have one sexual reference. You can't do it. I don't care where you're at. Why is that? Because that's the enemy's plan to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he gave them over to their sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for what? A lie. Do you see that happening? You see that happen in, in Christians. I mean, you may even have Christian friends, I do, that are doing the same thing. They change the truth of God for a lie. And look what it says. And worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. Isn't that what's happening? What's worship? It's giving your attention to something above all else. And that is humanism. 
It's worship in the creation. Worshiping yourself. This is what I want. This is the way I am. This is what it, what it is. And that is humanism. This is all about humanism. You think Muslims is the pro- problem in, in Christianity? You are completely wrong. It is humanism that is wrong in this world. And so they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women who were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Listen, let me tell you something. When anybody says that the Bible is not against homosexuality, they do not understand the word. And they have believed a lie. And this is wrong. And it's not just homosexuality. It's anything. It's just pornography. It's sexual immorality. Homosexuality is part of that. But it's when you look at men or women, look at wrong things on the internet or on TV. It's when you have lust in your mind. You know, you can even have lust for your own spouse, and that's wrong. Because lust is not love. Lust takes, love gives. You understand this? Because I don't want us just... To just to focus, because we can always focus on one little subject and forget sexual immorality is a bunch of stuff. Okay? I will be preaching this again a little bit later in four weeks when I plan another part of this. But I don't want you just to focus in on that. We have to get a lot of things here. But it is about homosexuality here. Men commit indecent acts with other men and receive themselves due penalty for their perversion. Look at verse 29. And they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent. Listen, a lot of these God-haters are going to be increasing, by the way. That means they're going to hate you. Listen, persecution's coming, and it's okay. Because when the church is persecuted, it grows. But I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. So there's God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. That's happening. They disobey their parents. I just love that how they put that in there. Where's my kids right now? Anyway. <laughs> they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Don't turn here, but Philippians 3.18 says this, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Now, this is what the highest court did. Knowing that these deeds are wrong, yet approving those who practice them. See, homosexuality, sexual immorality is nothing new. It's been around for a very long time. What is new 
is the celebrating of the sin. That is what's new. See, the difference is with us, which should be, we weep over our sins. We don't celebrate our sins. When I do something wrong, it's, I don't celebrate my sin. I should be sorrowful what I've done. I don't lift a banner and say how great I am. I bow my knee down to the floor and says, God, help me be more like you. Forgive me. I turn to Jesus and I ask forgiveness and, I, and help. And, and God, I don't want to be this way. This is not who I am. This is not who you created me to be. But that's been turned around. We celebrate it. First Thessalonians, that says in verse, chapter 1, verse 10, says we need, we need to cry out to Jesus because he's the one who delivers from the wrath to come. See, I know love wins. It's a very big hashtag you see out there. But not the love of this world. Not the love that this world is given. This love the world is giving, I love you if you agree with me. I love you if you don't come against me. Love wins, but not that kind of love, because that kind of love changes over time. The love that wins is when I tell someone the truth that this is wrong. Love that wins is when I talk to them and I witness to them and I say to them, listen, I love you, but I hate what you do. It's wrong what you do, and this is why it's wrong, because it will destroy you. Listen, I hope you will love me when I'm prideful. And you come up to me and say, Sean, that was a prideful statement. I love you when you mess up. If you are someone who is caught in adultery, I love you and I will help you out of that. If you're one who screwed up yesterday, I will love you and help you out of that. If you're here and you're a homosexual, I love you. I don't hate you. I'm not against you. What you do is destroying you and whether you know it or not, it is killing you. I love you. That is love and I will stick by you. I have friends who are homosexuals. I talk with them. They know my stance. I talk to them about that, and I still love them. That is love. You will not see that in the world. The reason God hates sin is because what it does to us, it will bring death. The love that wins really is one who will stand for righteousness, even while you're being spit in your face. That I do this because I love you. So the Supreme Court said it's okay for men and men to marry, women and women to marry. Jesus taught about marriage in Matthew chapter 19. People said Jesus didn't say anything about marriage. They just don't read the word. Look what he says here. Matthew 19, verse 4. It says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, this is not just a statement we just say in weddings. This is a statement that Jesus made here, saying, Don't touch this. Therefore, what God 
has joined together, let no man separate. That's not, a, that's not a wedding statement. That's a statement to people, to men, to women, to everyone that says, this is my plan. Don't separate it. Don't change it. There's a question I hear is that this decision doesn't affect me. Why should I care? If you are a true believer in God and you love God and you love others, then we should care about them. People who are in this world who are sinning because it destroys them. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 says, Put to death, death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now that's all of us. Sexual immorality. That's, that's pornea. Impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of what? Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness. Idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Turn to John, uh, Luke chapter 17. Let me show you some parallels here, what Jesus made. And it relates parallels to today. There's four parallels today with what Jesus has here. Matthew chapter 17, verse 26. Let me show you something. Jesus says here, verse 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Now that's the second coming that he's talking about. So like it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 27, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, I love this. If you read the story of Noah, don't look at the movie, but read the story. I love this part about Noah, is that God put him in the ark, shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door, and not a raindrop touched Noah. Judgment didn't touch, touch Noah. But let's go on. Verse 28. And it was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Same thing with Lot. The angel says, we can't destroy this until you get out. Verse 30, and then he destroyed them all. In verse 30, and it will be just like in the days of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken, the other one will be left. It's talking about the rapture. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken. The other one will be left. Now Jesus made this parallel of Noah and Lot concerning the last days. I believe we're in the last days. Let me show you something why. There's four parallels he made here. In both instances, Noah and Lot, number one, business was as usual. They were acting like there is no end. There's no fear of God. Everybody was doing what they wanted to do. Isn't that what's happening today? There's not going to be an end. We can do whatever we want. There's no fear of God. There's no fear of anything. Business as usual. That's what's happening today. Number two is they refused to listen to the voice of truth. In Noah's time and Lot's time, then they try to get people to change, but they refused to listen to the voice of truth. 
And then there's number three. There was a sudden removal of the righteous. Sudden removal of the righteous. And then what happened? Number four. Cataclysmic judgment came. That's what's going to happen. Not just through the United States. But that's what's going to happen to this earth. Whether it's now or whether it's later, that's going to happen. See, we need to weep for this world and for our nation. But I love this in Ezekiel chapter 9. You have to turn there, verse 4. Just write it down. In the days of Ezekiel, God put a mark of hope on the foreheads of men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in Jerusalem. And I believe that's happened today. I believe this is the best time for the church. It's time for us to rise up and to be who God's called us to be. So what should a Christian do now? Should we go out there and just get mad? No. Should we go out there and say, raise up pickets and do picketing and says, you know, God hates you? No, that's definitely not true. Should you put on your Facebook that you're all going to hell? (laughs) I don't think so. Number one, you need to pray. You and I need to become prayer warriors. Now listen, hopefully you're not doing this, I'm going to step on your foot. It's going to hurt for a couple weeks. If you're not praying every day for the church, for your neighbors, for this nation, you need to get a revival in your life. And you need to get off your butt and get on that floor and suck rug and pray. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are my people? Jesus believers. Jesus followers controlled by the Lord. Who are called by my name will humble themselves. That means to stop what you're doing is not as important as this. Some of you are way too busy to pray. You need to stop something. And it's not prayer and it's not your ministry, and it's not the church. We need to get real. Some of you need to get real. I need to get real. Well, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And what else? This is talking to the church. Turn from their wicked ways. Then, what he says, I will heal from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. We need to pray. We're going to pray here in just a moment. In fact, August 1st through August 21st, we are going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting. We'll tell you a little bit more about it. I just figured we'd put it from August 1st, 21st, so everybody knows when to start and when to stop. We're going to have prayer and fasting for our nation, for our city. You know, we can only do our part, right? Amen? We can only do our part with our community, and who God's called us to. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for revival. We're going to pray an impact in our city. 
Number two, you can pick up stuff that fell down. <laughs> Number two, you can clean house. Get everything in order, church. Listen, this is what sin does. If you have sin in your life that you are unrepentant for, and you don't want to change, this is what it's going to do. It's going to harden your heart, and you'll go off, and your Facebook will be filled with rainbows. We need to redeem that back, by the way. That's a God thing, rainbows. You turn from your wicked ways. You need to get free from the sin and the things that are weighing you down. This is what I'm going to say. We're going to have 21 days of fasting, and then we're going to have our freedom classes here on Wednesday nights. And our Kairos weekend. You need to be set free. I believe in set free. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. I don't care what you're going through. You need to come to that and get involved in that. Number three, you need to love people. You've got to watch the way you speak. You've got to listen to the Holy Spirit and not speak what you feel all the time. Amen? Watch what you put out on Facebook. Listen, in fact, don't hardly do it. The only thing you should do on Facebook is share pictures of, of your dog and your cat and your, your kids. And invite them to things that are going to bless them. Your cell groups, your small groups, your, your, your pool party or stuff like that. Listen, don't try to evangelize on Facebook. They don't get it. Evangelism is relational. We need to be wise in what we do. You can take a stance on Facebook. But make sure it's a Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost stance, okay? Number four. You need to be a light. We need to get out there and do something for the Lord. I uh, tweeted this verse this last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When I came to you, brothers, to Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you while to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you're going to preach anything on Facebook, talk about the gospel. I came to you in weakness and fear with much, much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom but on God's power. That's where our faith is. And that's where we should demonstrate this. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to get right. That's why we need to get dedicated. So everyone we come in contact with, they may not always agree with you, but they're going to see the power of God in operation. They're going to see life change. And they may run away more from that, but that's okay. That's their decision. But listen, majority, I think that you come in contact with your relationship, your family are going to see a difference. And they're going to talk about that. And you and I need to become this way. So the reason is, so we won't fall away. So we'll stand firm in the love and the power and the grace of God. Amen? You guys ready for this? this is coming 
this is here and it's time for us to rise up to be the church that God's always called us to be you and I and to see many come to the Lord that's our, that's, that's our call to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ and it begins with salvation that's who we are as a church and that's what we're going to do and, and no matter how much comes against us, no matter, we, we're already getting calls. We've been getting calls for months now. You're going to see picketers probably coming in. We're going to bring them donuts. We're going to bring them coffee. We're going to minister to them. And we're going to see God just rise. We're going to stand up for what's true no matter what people says. You'll hear people call me a bigot after this message. That's okay. I'm not. I love people. God loves people. And I want to see change in their life. I want to see them come to who that God's created them to be. Amen? When our elders come up here, we're going to pray. I want you to stand up. I want you to grab a person's hand right next to you. We're going to pray for our country right now. That you are Lord over Blue Springs. You are Lord over Green Valley. You are Lord over Lee Summit. You are Lord over Kansas City. This whole area, God. We proclaim you as Lord. And righteousness will prevail in Jesus' name. And I pray for us, the church, Lord. That we will rise up and be who you called us to be. That we will be like Jesus. And we thank you. And just like it was in the days of act, your power, your spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will have visions. You'll bring the church together in unity. We'll fight for you. We'll love people and love you, Lord, with all of our heart. And we thank you, God. And the world will know there's something different. There's something going on. There is a movement that is starting today in churches all around America. A movement, a revival, a standing up for righteousness. A standing up for what's right. And speaking the truth in love. Where lives will be changed radically, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you that your word stands true. Your word says that it will never pass away, not one jot or tittle, not one small uh, punctuation point will ever be removed from your word. And it says heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain forever. So, Lord, help us as Christians to make up our minds today where we're going to stand. Are we going to stand on your word, or are we going to stand with the feelings of the world? God is for me and my house. We're going to honor you. We're going to stand with you. Lord, even though it creates division, it creates a line in the sand that everybody's going to decide which side they're going to get on. Lord, we choose today to stand with you. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you can sustain us and will sustain us in the midst of whatever happens. We give you praise, Lord. 
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, I just pray that your spirit would move upon this congregation now, Lord, that your spirit, Father, would be mighty in us, that, Lord, we could really, truly deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow you, that there would be no doubting in our hearts about this purpose to follow Jesus, to place him first.